name is Marion Brown, and this is Chapel Roswell, a modern expression of a historic faith. And what a modern expression means is that we take the time to be intentional. We learn the history of our faith. We honor the tradition of worship, but we ask why. We want to know why we do things. And we begin to talk about it and explore it. And part of being modern means that we pay attention to what's happening and we make adjustments. And that's what allows us to be creative in worship while maintaining the integrity of worship. And so anytime that we have questions about things, we do what the founder of Wesley taught us to do, the founder of Methodism. John Wesley said, you use the quadrilateral, duh. If you went through confirmation, I hope you remember it. If you're a parent of a confirmand, I hope you remember it. If you don't know it, you're about to learn it real fast. The quadrilateral is something you use to talk about anything you have theologically. You start with scripture, you talk about reason, tradition, and experience. You can go in any order, but those are the four tenets that you use. So today, let's talk about children. That's the question of the day. Scripture says the children were welcomed. It actually says, Jesus said, let the children come to me. And then our reason tells us that families are stronger when they worship together. There's something powerful that happens when children learn the words of the Lord's Prayer just by osmosis. Our tradition tells us that we like to dress our children up to the nines and then dare them to breathe when we get to church. (laughs) That was my case. Maybe it's not for you. We still do some version of that. And our experience says that having children in worship is much harder for the parent than it is for the person next to the parent. Because we know having kids in worship is going to be loud and chaotic and wonderful. I remember growing up, I spent almost all my time in church. I know that it's hard to believe, but I was at church like all the time. And I wasn't always at church by myself. I had a great little group of people. In fact, my Sunday school class, they were pretty much all boys and me. And the core of us, it was the same Sunday school class from the time I was five to the time I graduated high school. And one of our favorite things to do at church, because we were there all the time, if a parent had a meeting, if a parent had this or a parent had that, we were always in church by ourselves. We would run to the sanctuary when it was empty. And you know what we would do? We'd run. We would run in the sanctuary. We would jump over pews. It was a blast. And no matter what day it was, no matter what time of day it was, it's like she lived there. The choir director was always waiting for us. <laughs> and so here we are just running in the sanctuary. And that woman, she would pop her head out and say, guys, stop running. If you run in this sanctuary, the devil is going to trip you. There are going to be children running in chapel. 
And so, because of it, we're going to try something new. Until our nursery staff can be hired, or until volunteers are trained, we're going to have more kids. And so I'm going to try something new. It's called a pray ground. If it works, that's great. If it doesn't, we'll tweak it. And if it doesn't work at all, then we'll try something new. It's modern. So if you are under the age, let's say six or seven and under, you can raise your hand. If you're comfortable, you can raise your hand. If the person who brought you to church will allow you to do it, you can come hang out during the message right here. We have games. We have things to play with. We even have little bouncy seats if you have a little one that just needs a little bit something else to do. This is your playground, so you can go ahead and start making your way to this area. Six, seven, and under. Raise your hand if you are like, I don't know, eight, nine, and 10, and 11-ish. I've already pinpointed, yes, thank you. I'm asking you to be a pastor's helper. It's kind of like a mother's helper or a father's helper, you know, while a parent works, they need some help keeping the ones occupied or playing with, keeping them safe. I'm asking you to be my pastor's helper. If you are willing, if you're willing, if you pastor's helpers would come and play and pray and help kind of guide this time, that would be awesome. And before we have communion, I will invite the kiddos. I will ask our pastor's helpers. Listen, pastor's helpers, this is important. <clears throat> We've got to get the kids back to their parents. So at the time when I say it's time, I want the pastor's helpers to take the younger ones back to their parents. You can help them do that, right? It's going to be awesome. Uh, parents, Adults, if you feel like this is a time of wilderness, it is. And the good thing about that is the wilderness is actually scriptural. So guys, as you pray on your playground, get it? I want you to draw things for me. Listen up. I want you to draw for me. I want you to create for me. And what I want you to draw and create and build are things that you will hear in scripture. You're gonna hear about a mountain. You're gonna hear about food. You're gonna hear about a city and a kingdom. So I want you to create it with what we have given you, okay? All right, it's gonna be great. Let's go. The gospel of Luke, it says this. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, 
To you, I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on a pinnacle of the temple saying to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord God to the test. And when the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Historically, traditionally, this is the scripture that's read the very first Sunday of Lent. And Lent always begins with Ash Wednesday, this past week. It's the time when you receive the ashes and heard the words from ashes you were from and to dust you will return. So repent and believe in the gospel. It means this is a time to turn away from sin and turn back toward God. On Ash Wednesday, after we were turning from Ash Wednesday's service, our daughter, one of our pastor's helpers, um, our daughter actually said, while looking at herself in the mirror, where do these ashes come from anyway? And my husband said, well, those ashes are actually made from the palms from Palm Sunday the year before. He said, do you remember waving the palms last year? Well, yes, those are the exact palms that we make ash from and use for Ash Wednesday the next year. And after he gave the description, we looked and her mouth was open. She goes, oh. You should tell people that. So I'm telling you that. (laughs) In about six weeks, when we have Palm Sunday and the kids wave the palms, we hold onto those palms and we make ashes for Ash Wednesday because what it does is it immediately connects us to the end of the story. We already are connected to the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And because we know the end of the story, then we are able to stand at the beginning of it with confidence, ready to spend these 40 days and six Sundays working on self-reflection so that we can grow closer to God. And do you know, some people think that Lent is just about giving something up, giving up Chocolate, something that you really, really like. For me, it's probably should be jelly beans and goldfish and gummy bears. It's a lot of people think just give something up. That's all it's about. There's a great story about a little boy named Bobby, and Bobby wanted only one thing in the world, and that was a bike. And so for Lent, he decided that he was going to save his money, all of his allowance, all the money from chores, and he was going to buy a bike on Easter morning. And so every night of Lent, he would put his feet down or his knees down, and he would say, Lord, 
please help me save my money. Don't let that ice cream truck come to my street again tomorrow. (laughs) From a very young age, children know about temptation. We adults know a lot about temptation. We all know a version of this story. There's a man who decides during Lent he's going to lose some weight. And so he decides to give up cake. And so he tells everybody at work, keep me accountable. I'm going to lose weight. I'm not going to eat cake. And he went so far as to actually change the route that he took to work so he couldn't pass his very favorite bakery. About halfway through Lent, the man shows up at work with a cake. And his office mates scolded him. What are you doing? You can't eat that. It's Lent. No. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a different kind of cake. This cake is sacred. It's a holy cake. And he said, on accident, I drove by the bakery. And when I saw the fresh cakes in the window, I had a prayer. And I said, dear Lord, if you want me to eat that cake, there's going to be a parking spot waiting for me right in the front of the bakery. And the man said, on the eighth round about on the bakery, there it was. (laughs) With or without Lent, adults can justify any behavior. With or without Lent, adults can come up with a reason to do anything. Because we justify the heck out of every temptation in front of us. Excuse after excuse, reason after reason. And it's because temptation is difficult. Temptation is sneaky. And temptation is always lurking. And as an adult, that's a very real thing. Jesus was an adult when he was baptized. The day he was baptized, according to Luke, the Holy Spirit came upon him and Jesus heard the words, you are my son and with you I am well pleased. And full of the Holy Spirit, fresh from baptism, that Holy Spirit led him out of the Jordan and straight into the wilderness. The same spirit that saved him is the same spirit that led him. 40 days and 40 nights. We know that number. That's a traditional number. That's a scriptural number. We know 40 days and 40 nights because Moses for 40 days and 40 nights went without food. Elijah was making it to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. This story is steeped in history. And if that's Not enough of the Old Testament references, there's more. Every time Jesus was tempted, he responded with words from Deuteronomy. Turn this stone into bread. And Jesus said, one does not live by bread alone. This kingdom can be yours. Worship the Lord God only. Throw yourself down to see what happens. 
you will not put the Lord your God to a test. It's just like my choir director warned. When you start running, the devil's going to trip you. Not once, not twice, but three times. And here's the thing about it. The things that the devil was offering, they're not bad. None of them caused harm alone. These are not bad things. The devil offered a way to feed people. People who had not had food in days. If Jesus would have said yes, then every stone would have turned into bread and people would have been fed forever. The devil offered a regime change. And a regime change was probably a good thing because this is a world that was living in political hardships. There were incredible divides and everyone was living under the fear of war and the threat of violence. And there was racism and sexism and classism and hatred all the time. A regime change may have been a nice thing. And in an instant, Jesus could have brought peace. And the very last, but the most significant, the devil took Jesus all the way to Jerusalem, the very place where he will later die. And the devil said, throw yourself down to see if the angels come. Give your life to see if God saves it. You know, These are tests. It's a test of faithfulness to see who God will serve or who Jesus will serve. Will Jesus serve his own ego and power and authority? On a very emotional, political, and spiritual level, who will Jesus serve? Himself or will he submit to the Lord God? And that is the question for us. Who are we ready and willing to serve? Will we let our ego and power and authority take over? Will we live in a world of self? Or will we submit on an emotional and political and spiritual level to the will of our Lord God? Because this is our time to figure it out. We have 40 days to learn discipline, to learn strategy, and to learn what we need and how we need it. What space do you need? What disciplines do you need? Who do you need around you? What do you need to help you overcome whatever it is so that you can have a stronger relationship with our Lord. Because it will be lingering. It'll be there asking those questions, lurking, sneaky, and difficult. So in the darkness of night, will you give in to your appetite or will you be nourished by the Lord? When you are ready 
to decide you're in control and to serve yourself, what will bring you back into grounding in your faith? And when you are ready to give it all up and to throw yourself off that pinnacle, what is going to grab you back and bring you closer into an embrace with God and try again? We have 40 days and six Sundays to try something new. And we need to be creative. And we need to pay attention because if our ideas don't work, then let's tweak them. (laughs) Or if they don't work, let's start all over again. Because when we respond intentionally to what is before us, the community is fed, justice is served, and life becomes eternal. I'm not saying during Lent is a time to make your life perfect. I'm saying this is a time to pull your life in focus. And that's what our theme of Lent is. This is a time of focusing back. I learned a production term this week. It took Arturo and Tyler a long time, but I finally got it. They showed me videos. I've learned about pulling focus. Pulling focus is something that directors use. And the whole point of pulling focus is that the viewer only sees what the director wants them to see. No matter what else is happening in the shot, if you have someone to pull focus, you're only going to see what the director wants you to see. And usually, well, always, this is not done automatically. Pulling focus is done manually. And what I've learned, it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of breathing. And it takes a lot of measurements. And it takes time. But when you pull focus correctly, it tells a completely different story because of the sequence of events. And so when you pull focus on this story and you see another sequence of events, in the name of God, you see people are fed by about five loaves and two fish and by an incredible table. You actually see that Jesus begins to preach peace and even has a king questioning the decision of a people much later. And then you see at that very spot that yes, Jesus in fact did give his life. And in one moment, God saved everything with it. You know, I think about my choir director all the time. And I think about here all these kids were running And do you know what we did when my choir director said, the devil's going to trip you if you keep running? We did the same thing Jesus did. We kept running. Amen.